Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's a fairly famous quote by Oscar Wilde, uh, which um, over the years is, is kind of not quoted in its fullness anymore. Um, you would have heard of it. He, he says, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, that's actually only half of what he says. Uh, the full kind of sentence is, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity uh, pays to greatness. And, and though, though he's kind of writing in the late 1800s, uh, this view of kind of, of imitation is, is pretty much the same as our modern view of imitation. Uh, imitation isn't, isn't something that we're particularly kind of big on or fond of in, in Brighton. And, and Joel spoke about this uh, a few weeks ago because as a, as a city, we, we kind of pride ourselves on our ability to, to do things differently. Uh, to, 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 to kind of do things our way, if you like. Uh, so, for example, I, I bet that the majority of us, if, if we were to hear that we were like our parents, it, it, might, make us, it might make us cringe, for example. Uh, which is why it's interesting that, that Paul here would use this language. He would say, imitate me, which, which he means copy me, do as I am doing. And then he would equate this to, to, to Christian maturity even, saying, saying, let those of us who are mature think this way. This might not be the verse that gets you fired up to be a Christian, but it's true to say, imitation, it won't get you investment on Dragon's Den, it won't get you the record deal, it won't get you cool points in or around Brighton. If you were to go onto LinkedIn, for example, the, the, the job title of the day, if you like, is founder. Founder. Uh, this is because uh, the world predominantly, and our city particularly, values innovation over a kind of biblical imitation. And, and truly, that's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, to be a Christian is to be for 
kind of progress for innovation in areas like, like medicine, technology, education, for instance. If that weren't the case, I wouldn't be holding this book in my hand, but I'd be holding two large handwritten scrolls in my hand. It's a reality. So what's the issue then? <laughs> what's the problem? The problem is when uh, cultural progress leads to moral regress. When cultures abandon uh, kind of the, the social norms rooted in biblical truth or, or principle, what, what, what you're left with really is what many uh, cultural observers would, would call a, um, a social experiment. And it would seem that's kind of where we are as a culture in the West today. And the Bible, the Bible is interesting because it talks about social experiments. <laughs> the Bible details them. The first ever social experiment, for example, was, was a long time ago. The Bible talks about it in, in a place in the Bible called Genesis chapter 3. In fact, the third page of the Bible. There we read of Eve, who, along with her husband, would, would uh, stop trusting God's word and start trusting their own way. They would take from the fruit of the, the tree that was forbidden them, and, and, and they, through sin, they would summon into a, a very good world the destructive force of evil, bringing upon themselves curses. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. These, these invisible forces, these barriers, these, these things that frustrate you, me, the, the human race. They would, they would, through this experiment, they would hand down the generations, uh, corruption, chaos, and yeah, confusion. Confusion that they could never have foresaw in the beginning. And this, this, this present social experiment really is influenced by the same spirit as this, this, this previous social experiment. So that we have new perspectives on marriage, uh, new perspectives on, on gender, uh, new perspectives on, on, on a biblical interpretation and scholarship, which is to say, trying to make the Bible say things that it, it just doesn't say. And this really is where we have got to. This is, this is the story of history, somewhat, in a few minutes, uh, from Genesis chapter 3, at least, uh, to kind of to now. And, and Paul has a solution to these issues. His solution is in our passage. His solution is imitation, to imitate. And, and the word imitation, or to imitate, it could have a, uh, it could it carries a bit of baggage for us because when you hear imitation, you might hear kind of inauthentic, poor quality, fake. You might hear clone, robot, assimilation. This isn't what Paul is talking about. And so a word that perhaps has a little bit less baggage that might help us get a little bit more into what Paul is trying to communicate to us is to use the word emulate. Paul is saying, emulate me. And, and one of the objections that <laughs> I guess you could have, because it could throw up another one, is, is, hang on a second, imitate me, Paul's saying. I've, I've read the Bible, or I've read bits in the Bible, I've read very little of the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that Christians are supposed to be humble. <laughs> They're not supposed to be arrogant, right? 
And Paul is, is basically saying, everybody, copy me. What's, what's going on there? And I, I would say that that is an important question to ask of this passage. And it's good to ask questions of the Bible because you, you dig and you, you get stuff from it. And I say this, Paul isn't being arrogant here. And the reason I say that is because the, the great talents through history, they do all they can to preserve their uniqueness. They don't want to be copied. <laughs> they, 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 they want their unique contribution to be remembered. And so they feverishly seek to protect their work, uh, to preserve their earnings, and to therefore secure their legacy. That we see this all over the world. And so therefore, this is genuine humility from Paul. Genuine humility from a guy who is quite possibly the third most influential person ever. After Jesus and Adam. And this is great humility from a guy who wrote the Bible. A guy who, who, who saw more sufferings for Jesus than perhaps any other person ever. This is a guy who heard the audible voice of God on a road to a place called Damascus. We're talking about a guy who was the innovator of missional theory, a pioneer of church planting, who in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 would say that he had been to what he calls the third heaven and he had seen things and heard things that cannot be told and which man may not utter. Yet, with a CV that perhaps not even Peter could, could match, uh, Paul doesn't uh, come to us and say, I'm the Beatles, bro. He doesn't come to us and, and kind of say, I I'm, I'm the anomaly. He, 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 he doesn't live his life, kind of drop the mic and say, you try and follow that. No, no, Paul, Paul doesn't patent his stuff. Instead, Paul says, now, come on, you do it. Come on, you copy me. If I can do it with God's help, you can do it with God's help. Uh, Paul's heart is that there would be many Pauls. And if he was to find out that he was the only Paul, he would be heartbroken. <laughs> but Why? Why, 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 why? Why does Paul think this way? Why is Paul different? Even though he had all of these, he, he did so much for the Lord, like changed the world. <laughs> What's stopping Paul from falling into the trap? One of the things, at least, is the fact that Paul, he is all too aware that he was never truly the innovator. He's just been copying the one that was. The one that didn't just write the word of God, but is the word of God. The one that didn't just see surpassingly great revelations, but the one who is the revelation. The one who didn't just suffer, but the one who went through hell. Who didn't just travel from place to place, land to land to preach the gospel, but would come down from heaven. The one who didn't just visit the third heaven, but would create the first, the second and the third heaven. The, the first heaven being the realm of the, the sky and the, and, and the clouds. The second heaven being the, the realm of the stars and planets. And the third heaven being the, the heaven above, the heaven of God. 
No, Paul was, was all the while trying to imitate Jesus, the one who said, a disciple is not above his teacher. Jesus is the teacher. Nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, to imitate his teacher. And for a servant to be like, to imitate his master. No, no, no. Paul gets it. He gets it. It's, it's ultimately about Jesus. Yet even though Paul knows that it's kind of imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul, Paul isn't uncomfortable with using this language of himself. He's not uncomfortable to say, imitate me. You'd think he'd just say, just imitate Jesus. Just be like him, 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 right? No, he says, imitate me, and he's not uncomfortable. To which you might think that Paul has achieved some kind of level or standard of, of holiness that we might just dare to dream of. I mean, he was an apostle after all, right? Maybe he can say that because he, he's, he's Paul, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world is what that means. But you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong to think that because that's not what Paul says. <laughs> now, to be sure, Paul is a fine example of what it is to be a Christ follower. One of the finest ever. You, you might tell like, from the way I speak about him. He's one of my heroes, one of all of our heroes, right? But he was not without sin. No way. <laughs> and he says so in our very passage. He says, not that I am perfect. Not that I am already perfect. He gets it. He knows. He knows, he knows he's not perfect. But it doesn't stop him from saying, imitate me. And, and there is a lot of maturity in our church. And let me, let me be so bold as to say, more of us should say this. More of us should be, not be uncomfortable saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because it's, it's seeing other godly men and women in the church that kind of help you to understand what it means. It doesn't require perfection. <laughs> it doesn't. So therefore, if like a true Brightonian, you get uncomfortable at the idea of, of kind of trying to imitate somebody else. Or if you get intimidated at the idea of yourself being imitated, let me say this, friend, wake up. Because you are not imitating anything that originated in them and they are not imitating anything that originated in you. Only Christ's character and work fleshed out. That is what is indeed worthy of imitation. And let me say this, Paul isn't talking about the global here. He's talking very much about the local. When Paul says, uh, uh, kind of, uh, walk according to the example you have in the apostles, he's not talking about uh, kind of internet pastors, preachers, and prophets. He's talking about people local, in your local congregation, people that you can touch, people that you can test to see, as Paul says, if they walk according to the example you have in the apostles. You wouldn't know their, their walk unless you kind of got up close. So, for me, <laughs> there have been a number of people that have inspired me in our church to, 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 to imitate, if you like. And let me put it this way. One of the ways that I learned how to pray was, was listening to guys like Joel Virgo pray, Neville Jones pray. Matt Davis pray, Phil Turner pray. When those guys pray, get your notebook out. I've, I've sought to imitate uh, prayer warriors such as 
Liz Baxter, such as, such as Judy Osea, such as Brenda Cole. I, I've learned how to prophesy with love and warmth by watching guys like Steve Horn get on the mic and then asking him questions on the squash court. I, I, I learned to have a, a love for the word of God by, by sitting at the feet of 15 years of exceptional Joel Virgo preaching. Best preacher in the UK. I would arrive early and leave late to anything Tim Jones was preaching on or teaching on. I would, I would hang on every word from guys like John Hosier, Terry Virgo. I'd ask them annoying questions after the preach. I've learned how to lead people by, by watching guys like James Foreman with people, by, by being fathered by Alan Preston, by, by playing squash with Dave Etherton, by, by watching my hero, Steve Wolford, in any capacity at all. Watching guys like Stephen, Stephen Dawson, manage crises, getting time with him, asking questions, literally. I seek to imitate the kindness I see in Annika Feiner, in Nay Dawson. I love the boldness that I've seen with my own two eyes of a Carolyn Bain. I love, I love the faithfulness of Dan O'Sayer. I, I seek to imitate guys like, like Jamie Argent, his, his gift of service, cleaning toilets year after year at New Day for hundreds of conferences that we're involved in, for hundreds of young people. <laughs> Literally, he doesn't have to do that. Yeah, he does it with grace and a smile on his face every day. Or, 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 or go, go out east, go for a walk out east with Paul Dawson. He'll give you the time. Imitate what it looks like to be a good man. I tell you, friends, it, it, takes, it takes a village to raise a child of God. And, and don't just have one guru. Some, some, pe some of you may not know those people. Get, get to know those people. And many others I haven't listed that could equally be listed. Get to know them. And don't just have one guru, as I say. Paul says this. He says, keep your eyes on those, plural, those that, that walk according to the example you have in the apostles. Male or female, old or young, black or white, elder or otherwise. Watch carefully. Request critique. Offer assistance. Ask questions. Remain teachable. Receive rebuke. Believe encouragement. Keep your eyes on such people, Paul says. And he says it with literally tears in his eyes. He says so in the passage. And there's a warning in there because he says ultimately to not be in the midst of godly men and women coming in and coming out, seeing them regularly, being amongst them. You, you, you are likely to, um, as Paul puts, have your mind set on earthly things, which he says leads to destruction. The stakes are high when it comes to these things for Paul in terms of imitation. So he says, therefore, keep your eyes on them. 
Watch their godliness, their gifts, their graft for the Lord. Take a note of it. Let me say this. Don't be weird. That's what it is. What it says in the Greek. <laughs> Keep your eyes on doesn't mean wear tactical gear and station yourself outside their house. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean walk like them, talk like them, style your hair like them, name your cat after them. It doesn't mean forsake your cultural heritage. It doesn't mean try and be middle class or any other class for that matter. No, no, no. What it means, God wants you to be you. He, he, he wants you. What it does mean to imitate is, is to be able to sniff out good character and gifting and becoming a student of it. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So friends, let me ask you this. Are you mature? If you are, then tell me who you're imitating. Who are three people around you in this church that you, you, you see something of the way of the Lord Jesus that's worthy of imitating? Tell them. Please, genuinely, tell them. It'll encourage them to be more imitable. But Paul, Paul is also specific in our passage. He talks about the, the general kind of imitate those that are walking according to the walk of the apostles, you know, godliness, good character, graft, these things. But he also is specific in as much as there's one thing that he uh, details. He actually starts with this, that he wants all Christians everywhere to mature in. He says this, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wants us to imitate his application of God's grace. Now, now stay with me, okay? Paul, Paul uses some unusual words. Paul uses words like press on, strain forward, the goal, the prize, which is interesting uh, because if you uh, are a Christian and you've been Christian for a while, perhaps you've heard some fantastic teachings on teaching on grace. Even in this church, we have a, a, a wonderful history of that. You might be uh, kind of uncomfortable with when talking about grace, a person uses the words that Paul is using here, words like strain forward. You might even, at its worst, be tempted to kind of rebuke such a person, to tell them off and say, hey, hey, brother, you, you don't strain forward. Jesus is the one that strained forward on your behalf. Like you, that's, that's not your place. If I was Paul's small group leader, uh, I would be tempted to kind of say, listen, Paul, just come over here. You, you sit, take a seat. I've got a couple of things I need to say to you. Okay, just listen, you're talking about straining forward. Yeah, okay, it's good. It's good to, to, to work hard for the Lord. But listen, listen, Paul, listen, don't kill yourself. Why? God's a God of grace. To which Paul would probably look me in the face and say, yes, yes, God is a God of grace. Uh, and that's why I, that's why his grace towards me wasn't in vain. And I worked harder than anyone, which is literally what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, sorry, 15, verse 10. I worked harder than 
anyone. <laughs> Therefore, Paul is linking grace to perseverance. He's linking grace to hard work. And he's not talking about working for your salvation. He's talking about working out your salvation. And while it's important to, to Sabbath and rest, while it's important to manage your, 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 your energy levels, your capacity and your overall your health, absolutely. Jesus himself would say this in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. He says to his disciples, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. <laughs> go, go and take a few days off. Go and take a holiday. For they had no leisure even to eat. While it's important to hold that as a, as a tension, Paul at the same time is trying to uh, broaden our narrow understanding of grace and make it something more expansive. Because the grace of God to you is, is, is not only the, 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 the kindness of God and the mercy of God that results in the forgiveness of sins. Grace isn't only about pardon. It's just as much about power. Paul uses these words. He says, press on, strain forward. Paul is demonstrating that there's a power at work in you, a power that you, if you're a Christian, you can't see, that is propelling you forward in obedience to complete the unique task that God has assigned for you to the fullest measure. Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. So it was not I, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is within me. There's a force, that's a power, that's a work. Grace as power. And when you start to understand grace isn't just the, the motivation, but it's also the means. When you start to understand grace isn't just the forgiveness of sins, but it's also a power within. It's in that, it's in that space that things start to get really interesting. It's in that space you start to have ambition for God. And this isn't airy fairy stuff, guys. This isn't this isn't wishy washy stuff. This 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 could be this is gritty grace. Paul Paul says in two Corinthians chapter eleven, he speaks of a, a kind of a list of things that God gave him grace to persevere through, to soldier on through, to come out the other side of. This is his list. He says that he was thrown in prison. He received countless beatings. He was often near death. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and thought he was dead. Three times he was shipwrecked and he spent a night and a day adrift at sea. He records being in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and having anxiety for all of his churches. Grace as power is more than just a kind of theological kind of oh, nice way of thinking. This, this is the stuff that puts hairs on your chest, that puts steel in your spine. And I've, I've, I've thought a lot about grace's power over the last number of years, last three years in particular. Myself, my wife, Nina, we've been through a lot of stuff. <laughs> A lot of stuff. And, and, it, and in every situation, 
let me put it like this. In every situation, I prayed for grace. I prayed through the, the trials that we've been through. I prayed for God to, to, to keep us in faith, to not bow down to unbelief, to, to, to not give up, to stand firm, hold our position as a family, see the salvation of the Lord. I prayed these things. And I think, I think that as I prayed these things, I thought that grace to me, God answering those prayers, grace to me would be kind of that on my tough days or my bad days that I kind of hear in the distance a kind of angelic choir. I think I thought when I prayed for grace that it kind of be like when, I hear, when bad news comes, it, it wouldn't hit me as, 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 as badly. I think I thought when I prayed for grace that God would give me some sort of ability to kind of hulk up and, and the, the flaming darts of the enemy and, and, and trials and tribulations and would just bounce off me. I prayed for grace, it just bounced. I'd feel okay. How wrong I was. That isn't, friends, that's just not scriptural. And therefore, it's not helpful. Because, because Paul, he, he says this, he says, he endured countless beatings. Five times he received the 40 lashes, less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. And Paul doesn't say at any point that grace was the beatings were less bad or the stones were less jagged. No, what Paul points to as grace is in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the opposition, Paul would press on, strain forward, forget what lies behind, all of that stuff, all of that list, forget what lies behind so that he could run for the prize. Paul here is writing the book of Philippians as a 60-year-old. He's been an apostle for what scholars believe to be about 30 years. 30 years of frontline apostolic ministry. Paul's body is absolutely battered. Yet Paul, he's not disillusioned. <laughs> Actually, he's radiant. He writes the, the happiest letter in the whole Bible. He, he excitedly talks about a new body. He, he needs one. He literally, you can almost hear it in his, in his voice as he writes. He says, we await a saviour who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. You can, you can kind of hear his excitement. <laughs> Therefore, while God is certainly able to make the rocks that are being thrown at you less jagged, it would seem that he's more in the business of making your skin tougher against the blows with with a grace that perseveres in the midst of overwhelming opposition and odds a grace that preserves keeping you in the faith humble hungry with joy in your heart this is grace's power this is great maturity and this is certainly worth imitating And I'll close with this. To imitate Paul is indeed to imitate Jesus. And, and Christ, he, he, he would go so much further for us <laughs> because Jesus wouldn't imitate us. Jesus would become us. Jesus would become us by, at Christmas time, becoming a man, putting on flesh, 
entering into our human experience. He, he, would, he would receive, take upon himself the, the curses from the first social experiment and subsequent social experiments on himself. Where sin caused God to curse humanity with thorns, Jesus would, would be made to wear the crown of thorns. Receiving upon himself, on his head, the curse of humanity. Jesus would become like us by, by, by knowing something of the, the female experience. Uh, Jesus would, would know what it is to give birth. With it being Jesus who would, in pain, bring forth children for God. Bearing the, the, the marks of childbirth on his hands on his feet. Though joyful, Jesus would become like us by weeping. Though, though, though sinless, he would become like us by becoming sin. Though, though immortal, he would become like us by dying. I tell you, friends, Jesus would become like you. He gets it. So that you might become like him. <laughs> so that you would be a son a child of God, sharing the same eternal status as him. So you'd become like him in that you would be sinless as if you never sinned. You'd become like him by, by living forever. You'd become like him by being raised from the dead. You'd become like him by wearing a crown, not a crown of thorns, but a crown, a crown of light. You'd become like him. Even, even in the fact that there'll be no more tears, no more in the new kingdom. And friends, this is the gospel, the great exchange. Put simply, Jesus became like you and got what you deserved so that through faith in him, you might become like him and get what he deserved. With him supplying you pardons, supplying you with power grace and and paul paul signs off in our passage in chapter 4 verse 1 by saying these words he says to his people in philippi this church that he loves he says therefore my brothers who i love and long for my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the lord my beloved but even here he's imitating christ because these are the words that Jesus says to you right now. He says, therefore, my brothers, who I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in me, 